So we're, we're this morning in Mark chapter 2, so if you have your Bible turned there, we're going to look at another one of the Christmas stories uh, that I believe is going to speak to us. Uh, my wife did ask me to uh, let you know that she has agreed to lead this prayer time that we're going to be having starting January 5th from 8.30 to 9.10. Uh, so if you're a person that you believe God's called you to prayer, uh, uh, we're going to be meeting start 8.30 to 9.15 starting January 5th and every Sunday morning. Uh, so I believe prayer is how we connect with God. So amazing things happen when God's people prayer, pray. So this is going to be a um, 40-minute uh, prayer open house. In other words, you can, you can come and leave any time in that 40 minutes. Uh, she said that the theme is going to be from... Um, 2 Chronicles 7.14, remember that one? If my people will humble themselves and pray, he's going to save our land. How many know our country needs, needs some prayer, needs some healing? And uh, so that's going to be the theme in January. So I want to encourage you to consider uh, making that a part of your Sunday morning routine. Okay. We're in uh, Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look at this aspect of the Christmas story. I'm going to read it and then come back and share some, some things that I think are going to help us in our spiritual life. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who is born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Would you going to jump down to verse 9? After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Amazing story. The Magi brought gifts to the baby. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. We know what gold is. That's a commodity we can buy and, and, and sell. It, it, it keeps its value. It doesn't rust. It doesn't corrode. It doesn't diminish. Gold is like money. It always has some value. Frankincense, you may not know what that is. The root word is incense. Frank is a kind of incense. They would burn it. It would come up with some smoke. And it, it, it wasn't like the incense that I burned in my hippie days. It was incense that represented the prayers of the saints. Frankincense. And then myrrh is like a, an ointment. It's like a perfume that they would, uh, not really a perfume that's designed to make you smell better, but it's more like a, an, an, uh, an oil, a salve, that you would put on a wound for healing. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. The gifts that they brought had significance. They meant something. And Jesus went away. 
a lot better than before. He wasn't in poverty anymore. So I wanted these Christmas stories that we're looking at to be practical, to be relevant, something that speaks to us, not just a historical perspective. And what one of the, this, this major part of the Christmas story is that these wise men, these magi, were generous givers. Generosity should mark believers. If you're a believer today, there should be some generosity in your heart. You know, we're, this is Christmas season. If you're not generous in Christmas season, we say, bah humbug to you. You know, you are a Scrooge. Christmas is about giving gifts, isn't it? Yeah, we get to receive some, but it's also about giving. And, and so there's something in our heart, whether you're a Christian or not, there's something in our heart that makes us generous at Christmas time. But for Christians, that should be a, a basic part of our character, our makeup, our DNA as believers, that we're generous, that we want to be a blessing to somebody else. We're not just takers, we're givers as well. So I've got a, I've got a picture I want to put up here. This is Santa Claus, the first image, Saint Nicholas. Saint Nicholas made his mark, became... Uh, famous in history because he was a pastor of this church. And St. Nicholas <clears throat> had, a, had a compassion for three young ladies, sisters in his church because they were in a position of poverty and his parents had no way to provide a dowry for these three young ladies. So if you didn't have a dowry that you could present, no honorable young man would be interested in marrying one of the young ladies. So they would be forced into prostitution. So St. Nicholas, according to history, would take uh, gold coins, put them in a bag, and drop them in the window. And he did that periodically until they had enough gold coins to present a dowry so that those girls could get married into a good situation. In other words, he rescued them from sex trafficking, human trafficking, delivered them from being in a lifetime of prostitution. This is Santa Claus, not just given toys to put smile on little boys and girls' faces, but he was actually delivering somebody and changing a life. So we give gifts today, partly based on that history of St. Nicholas, but also based on the story of the wise men, the Magi. Let me say something about Magi. The Magi were people who were highly educated in the sciences of the day over in Babylon. Much earlier, the Babylonians had conquered the Israelites, and they had taken the cream of the crop. They had taken the best, most productive people in the country of Israel and forced them over into Babylon where they served um, in the economy. They settled in. They, they weren't slaves in a prison someplace. They got jobs. They worked. Skilled tradesmen. And then they brought somebody else from another country into Israel. And they just transplanted these people. It was, a way, it was a way to disorient people so that there would never be a revolt for our homeland. They just displaced people. It was a, 
interesting way to keep revolt down. And so the Magi, we get our word magician from it, the highly educated in the sciences people, they knew astrology and they knew stars meant something. And they saw this star in the sky and they followed it. There was something significant about that star because they left their homeland, they left their families, they left their jobs to travel hundreds of miles to get over to Jerusalem to see where the king of the Jews was. Why in the world would Babylonians be interested in the king of the Jews? The only way that I can put two and two together is that they were Jews from the displacement. They had not lost their culture. This, uh, this is something I want to instill in each of us, no matter what happens politically in the United States of America over the next 20 years, and it scares me to think about it, no matter what happens, we don't have to lose our Christian culture. The government may outlaw it, but that doesn't mean I lose my Christian culture. I still have my roots. I still know what I believe in. I can still call on God, and He still sees me where I am. Okay, so I want to share some things about generous people that we learn from the wise men, we learn from the Bible, and we learn from experience, experience that I've had as a pastor of a church for these 39 years, things I've learned. Um, And I want to share some of those things. But when I put the list together, I had 10 of them. 10 things about generous people, just too many for one sermon. So we got to do this in a two-parter. So I'm going to share five, okay? Next week, we'll look at the other five if you want to finish it. Here's number one, first thing we learn. Generous people give more than asked. That's that first blank if you want to fill it in. Generous people give more than asked. An example of this is what happened in the Old Testament in uh, the book of Exodus where they needed to build a sanctuary to worship the Lord. And so they asked the people to bring offerings in to pay for that sanctuary so they would all have a house of worship. And they they, uh, recruited these craftsmen, tradesmen, we would call them today, to do the actual construction and put put it together. And then we read this from Exodus 36, verses 6 and 7. It says, Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. So Moses had to go to the people and say, stop, stop, stop giving. We already have more than we need. You keep bringing it in. Stop. Don't do that anymore. In all my years of ministry, I've never had to make that announcement (laughs) because we will find another place to use that money. We will find another avenue to invest in people's lives and help their lives become better. But here's an example of the people were asked to do something and they gave way above it. And I've observed that in our church when we've done Fundraisers. We're, I remember uh, one, one time early on we were doing a fundraising 
activity for a missions trip. And it was mostly young people going to the Dominican Republic. And we had a car wash. And we did it right out, right out front of the, uh, the church here. And we got a bunch of water hoses and got them all hooked up and ready to go. And we put a couple kids out on the highway with signs, uh, come get your car washed. Um, if we had, if we had I, think, I think the first year we did it, I think we set it $2. $2 to get your car washed. Now, that's a bargain. You can't get your car washed for 2 bucks anyplace. So we thought that was quite a deal. Nobody gave us $2. It was $5, $10, $20. Nobody gave 2 Everybody gave more. Generous people will give more than they're asked to give. I remember several years ago, um, we had an old school bus. And it worked for us. The only, we only used it driving around the town of Waterloo. We went slow up and down these streets and picked up boys and girls. We brought them in. But then the state of Indiana changed the rule. And they, they required every used school bus that churches were using in Indiana to pass inspection. Now that old bus is just fine running up and down the streets of Waterloo. But there wasn't a tire on that bus that would pass state inspection. So we knew to keep that bus going, we had to put new tires on that thing. That's expensive. Those bus tires aren't cheap. And there wasn't just one we had to replace. It was, it was all the tires. So I remember I thought to myself, we have three services. I'll just go to the people in all three services and ask if there's anybody here who wants to help us buy a tire. I knew how much a tire would cost. So I basically... I. I, I didn't want it to be too much because I wanted everybody to participate, so I asked people to give a $20 bill. Anybody have a $20 bill to help buy one of these tires? Come and give it to me right after church. Service was over on Saturday night, and the Saturday night service was the least attended of the three. And I made that appeal to everybody, and as soon as church was over, people came running to me, <clears throat> a lot of 20s, but a couple 50s, and a couple 100s. You know, we had bought the tires for that whole bus Saturday night. I didn't have to take it Sunday morning. I thought those guys got off easy. Sunday morning crowd. It's an example. People will give more than ask if they believe in the cause. Which takes us to the second thing. Generous people give to a great cause. If there's a cause they believe in, they will give generously toward that. And I've discovered that charity is not one of those causes people will give generously toward. Charity in itself doesn't mean anything. If you give them a cause they believe in, they'll give in it. Charity isn't one they believe in because they don't know where the money's going. They don't know if it's going in somebody's pocket. There's some overhead cost that's going to be gone. So people won't give generously toward charity but they'll give generously toward a cause that they believe in. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-4 through 4 <clears throat> gives us an example. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, 
entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. A great cause. And because there was a great cause that people believed in, they gave generously. They gave sacrificially. For there to be a great cause that people give toward, they've got to buy into the vision. The vision of the cause has to be presented in a way that people want to buy into it. Somebody's got to present that vision clearly enough so that people can say, I want to see that happen bad enough to get in my wallet. I want to see that happen enough that I want to do something to cause it to come about. You can plant a seed in gravel and probably won't see a great harvest. But if you plant it in good, rich soil, you're going to get a good harvest. So what you and I need to do is identify where the good soil is. Where are the investments that are going to bear fruit? I appreciated Adam talking about one of those opportunities with ARC. You know, people planting churches that do it right. That's good soil. Most churches that are well-established aren't going to change, and they've reached everybody that they're going to reach. But a church plant has an opportunity for a whole new start, a whole new beginning. That's good soil. Let's go to number three, the third thing that we know about generous people. Generous people give out of their substance, out of what they have. They don't give out of what they don't have, and they don't give out of what they wish they had. They give out of what they have. It's seed sown out of what we have. In uh, Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, we have a good example of that. Just then, Jesus looked up and saw the rich people dropping offerings in the collection plate. Then he saw a poor widow put in two pennies. He said, the plain truth is that this widow has given by far the largest offering today. He wasn't criticizing the the wealthy people who were giving large offerings. He wasn't criticizing that. He was saying, here's a lady who gives something nobody notices. It's not going to make a big impact in the kingdom, her two pennies. But she gave it, and it was all she had. And because she gave all she had, that's a big gift. She gave out of her substance all she had. The wealthy people were given a portion of what they had. And so Jesus looks at the heart of each of us. He sees whether we're generous or not. Some people gave large. Some people gave small. But the Lord saw every gift and valued it. And I still think he sees every gift. This is extravagant giving. Above and beyond. Above and beyond. I remember years ago when we were in the little building down here and we were landlocked and we couldn't grow anywhere. We had two services full and we knew we had to do something. So we began a plan on building because we, we were dead in the water staying there. We couldn't expand at all. So we decided... Uh, we would build this building. Of course, 
at the time, we didn't think this big, kind of had to stretch ourselves for that. God stretched us. But I remember when, because we didn't have the money, and it would take us a long time to pay cash for a building, and we couldn't grow in the meantime, we understood we, we had to raise the money, and we were going to have to get a mortgage to do that. So to do that, we wanted the congregation's affirmation. So we gave them the vision, and we had a vote. I remember the Sunday morning down there when we, we had a vote. Are we going to build, or are we not? It's a choice. We took the vote, and 186 said yes, and three said no. And I know the three who said no were all retired people who had been through a previous building plan and got stuck paying for the whole thing themselves. Those three guys did. And they just scared them to think about going into a much bigger project than that. So they voted no. But it's interesting that after we had communicated with everybody, we went into every home and shared the vision with them, as everybody knew. And uh, after we did that, we asked people to make pledges over a three-year period what they could give. And wouldn't you know it, those three guys that voted no all made significant contributions toward the building. Once they saw everybody else was aboard, they didn't want to miss out. They wanted to be a part. And all three of those guys were able to see this completed project that they had invested in. We are in this building in a small town because of extravagant giving. Because people gave above and beyond. And many of you are still seated here that made a pledge back then and kept that pledge. But the rest of everybody came in after the fact and got to enjoy the blessing. Didn't have to give sacrificially to make it happen. But if we're going to continue to touch people's lives, we have to keep giving extravagantly. Somebody say amen. amen. Here's number four, the fourth thing. Generous people give more than money. Everything doesn't equate to money. In, in, in America's economy, perhaps it does. But there's, it goes way beyond that when it comes to giving. In Luke chapter 10, verse 30, we read this story. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. We're going to jump to verse 33. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. But, the, but the, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Get those verses switched there, but you know, who, you know the story. This is the story of the Good Samaritan who on his journey saw this man in the ditch, beaten, bloody, robbed, naked, unconscious, half dead, and he got down off his donkey and down into the ditch down where the man was. 
and nursed him to health, put him on his donkey, took him back down the road to the nearest inn, put him in the inn, poured on the oil for healing and the wine for nourishment, and said, here, I'm paying the bill for him. When I come back, I'll pay you if there's anything else, because I want you to keep doing what I did. The church is the inn. And what Jesus does is he keeps rescuing people who are beat up, robbed, half naked, and bringing them in to the inn. And then he tells us, I'm coming back again. And when I do, I will pay you everything that you invest in taking care of that soul. So as we look around us today, we see a whole church full of people who have been robbed blind. Satan has wiped them out, stolen their confidence, and he brings them in here so we can rebuild them. Isn't that good news? We are his hands and his feet, and there's more to give than just money. The good Samaritan had to invest himself and get himself dirty helping this guy up. And I'm thankful for the many people in our church who give of their time, invest of their time. We have an agreement with the public school here in Waterloo. And when the school is out, if the parents give permission, those kids get on a government-sponsored school bus. And the school bus driver who is paid by the state of Indiana drives the kids down to our church and drops them off. And those kids come into our unity hall and we give them games to burn off some of that energy that's been pent up having to sit still all day long. We give them action, activities, fun things. Then after they've, after they've eaten a bunch of sugar and burn off their energy with games, we sit down with them and help them with homework. We have public school teachers that when they're done with their classes, they come over here and they become mentors and coaches, help those kids with their math, help with their reading, help with their studies, investing their time, and they don't get paid for it. It's an investment. Thank God for people who give their time. And another thing we can give is our talent. Some of us are busy people, but God has taught you some things the hard way. You have some gifts. You have some, some, some abilities that other people could benefit from. You have something to give to somebody else. That's your talent. You've been delivered from this or that. Pass that deliverance on to somebody else. Make an investment. Generous people give more than their money. They give what they have. Another example, winter's coming. Did you know that? We keep a snow shovel and salt at every entrance all around this building. We try to keep the sidewalks clean. We try to keep everything good and safe. But quite frankly, sometimes it's just all hands on deck. It's snowing out there. And we don't want our older folks having a problem coming in. So as you come in, grab a snow shovel, 
put a little bit of salt down, do whatever's necessary so that the family of God gets here safe. That's something that we can give. And by the way, I see the, uh, I see the line right out there, out, out in the, the hallway before church for the coffee pumpers. I saw the line out there. People like coffee. Something, something about our American culture. We just like coffee. Don't we? So I see the line out there. That's not a result of the prayer meeting and the coffee just materializes. That would be great. Somebody's got to make that coffee. Somebody's got to prepare that. That would be a great gift somebody could give to say, I'm going to take that on. I'm going to make sure, even if it's for a month, I'm going to make sure that coffee tastes good. That's called hospitality. All right, I get, we got to go. Here's, here's the last one, number five. Generous people give when it doesn't make sense. Oh, a great example of this comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 45, when Joseph encounters his brothers. Years before, years before, Joseph's been sold as a slave into another country. His brothers wash their hands afterwards and they think, this guy is out of the picture. We have gotten rid of him. So Joseph goes down and lives as a slave for years. He's got to be angry at his brothers. His brothers put him there. And then because his master's wife tells a lie, He's got to go to prison. He didn't do anything wrong, but he's got to go to prison. So he's sitting in this dungeon in misery. And it's his brother's fault. He wouldn't have been in that environment if his brothers hadn't put him there. But God has a plan and reverses and delivers him from prison and puts him uh, incrementally as the number two man in the country of Egypt. He's in charge of all the finances. He's in charge of all the agriculture and storing up this grain. He's a, he's a man of power. And then one day, years later, his brothers come to Egypt to buy grain because they're starving to death back home. And Joseph, Joseph's got an opportunity to get even. He's got the power, he's got the opportunity, and his brothers don't even know it's him. But instead of getting even, he puts the coins they brought to buy the grain back in the bags of grain and sends them off. Doesn't even take their money. Ends up showering them with blessings. Why would he do that? These are the guys that sold him into this mess. He did it because he understood God was behind the thing, not his brothers. It was God had put him in this position, and it took a lifetime to bring it out. And so he has got to forgive his brothers. He's got to forgive them. Have you ever had to forgive somebody? 
It's not an easy task. If they don't deserve forgiveness, we want justice. But this is the grace of God at work in our lives. And Christmas demonstrates that. God sent his son, born of a woman, a virgin, to identify with us. And then when Jesus, the result of his faithfulness was he's put to death on the cross, a horrible, agonizing death. The very people who nailed him there are standing around the cross mocking him. If you're really the son of God, get yourself down from there. Mocking him. And Jesus, looking down in his pain, says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. The same spirit that was in Jesus is inside of you. We can say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We can say that if we put our soul on the cross. We can say that. How many are familiar with the book Mr. Willoughby's Christmas Tree. Raise your hand if you're familiar with that. Uh, just like Saturday night. That'd be a good book to go read to your grandkids, get from the library. It's all about Mr. Willoughby, who has a big house, so he buys a big Christmas tree. The problem is the Christmas tree is too big for him. So he cuts the top off, gives it to his maid. His maid is happy because now she has a Christmas tree, so she puts it up, but it won't quite fit in the place she has, so she cuts the top off and throws it out. And then you got a whole series of animals, from big ones to little ones, that all see this tree and cut the top off, and that just keeps passing right on down. Everybody cuts the top off until the mice have a nice Christmas tree. Everybody wins! I read that to my, to my grandkids the other day, and there was just excitement. Everybody was happy. Everybody has a Christmas tree. And the fact of the matter is, God gives each of us more than we need for the purpose of us passing it on to someone else so that they can have more than they need, so that they can pass it off to somebody else. Get that from the library and read it. It's well, well worth the time. But here's what I want us to think. In this, in this process of being generous givers and passing what we have to someone else so that we can be a blessing to them, so that God can in turn return blessing to us, in that whole process, that doesn't make sense if you're not a believer. It all comes to your relationship, your faith in Jesus Christ. Pastor David's going to lead us in a course here.
that in your life, that you could be more like God, that his peace would be inside of you, that all the promises become reality for you. I would like that, but I have to step into it. I have to make a decision, a decision that lasts from here on out. So let's, let's bow our heads. And I don't want anyone looking around because this is a personal decision. But I'm going to ask if there's anyone here, then you can say you're not sure that you have Jesus as your Savior. You're really not sure that if you die, you would go to heaven. You're not sure of that. You want to be sure, but you're not today. Would you raise your hand and I'm going to pray a prayer and God's going to hear you and see you. You want to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Raise your hand. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, I see third hand. Anyone else? This is between you and God, but God sees it. Let's all say this prayer, and those of you that raise your hand, make it your prayer. Heavenly Father, I believe in you. I believe in your son, Jesus. And I believe he died on the cross to pay the price for my sin and I believe he rose from the dead I don't understand it but I believe it and so I ask you to forgive my sin everything I've done wrong and I invite your spirit to come into my life open my understanding so I can be what you want me to be. 
I want to be your child. And I want to be a generous giver. Teach me how to do that, Lord. And I'll thank you for it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If that was the first time you said that prayer, I want you to know God heard you from heaven. He heard you from heaven. He heard you say, send your spirit into my life. Things are about to change with you. Things are about to change, and I'm excited about it. Amen? Amen. Now, one of the things you have to do is you have to tell somebody. If you came with somebody, tell them, you know, I said that prayer. I meant it. Just tell them that. It's, it's, a, it's verbally acknowledging what you've just, the decision you've just made. So my prayer is, you are going to go and have a Merry Christmas from a new perspective. And when you give those gifts and you see the smile on somebody's face when somebody opens the gift you gave them, there's just going to be this deep appreciation on the inside that that generosity came from God. And this was an expression of your, your relationship to God that you gave that gift. Your attitude can be different than everybody else's, you know. Amen. We're going to have some prayer warriors that will be here at the front that will pray with you if you have a prayer need. Go with God. Have a Merry Christmas. Have a great day.